For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. Three years ago, this podcast hit the airwaves to tackle the challenges marketers face in defining, activating, and advancing an authentic brand purpose. My first guest, that was Ann Barr Thompson, an early purpose pioneer and author of Do Good, embracing brand citizenship to fuel both purpose and profit. The world has changed considerably since 2019, thanks in large part to the COVID-19 pandemic, political unrest, powerful social movements, and global economic uncertainty. But over that time span, we have also seen the rise of purpose-led companies across industry sectors as they look to make a meaningful difference for all the stakeholders they serve in the planet we all love. Ann Barr Thompson joins me once again, this time to discuss how the purpose movement has evolved, key lessons from her book that are more important than ever, why companies must truly live their stated purpose, and much more. Anne, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a while, and certainly you, you I, I'm wondering what you missed in, in that list of, of things you said that's happened, because uh, pretty much it's been everything. Yeah, no doubt. So, and as I mentioned at the top, we certainly live in a different world today. When you look at the purpose movement over that time, the last three years, in what ways has it changed positively? Well, I, it's changed positively considerably. And, and if we begin with, I think when we started the podcast last time, I think we discussed the definition of purpose. Yes, we did. I think that was the first question <laughs> out of the box. And while there's still a lot of people who are defining purpose as their social mission, I think it's become more commonplace for people to shift purpose more into the strategic space mm -hmm. and see it as a raison d'etre, a reason a business exists at the higher order level, right. which encompasses and includes all stakeholders, as well as is broad enough and has enough human truths in it to incorporate social missions and, and a respect for the planet in it. So I think mm -hmm. we've evolved in that sense that people are starting to see the wider impact purpose can have and how it is a motivator for a larger corporate uh, mission and, and corporate agenda. Mm -hmm. Two things over the past three years have really advanced the importance of purpose in leaders' minds, as, as well as in, in the public's mind. And the first would be the business roundtables announcement in 2019 right. that changed the purpose of a business in a broader way. And for many of us who have lived in this space, the announcement was somewhat anticlimactic, sort of like, well, yeah, of course. However, so you should be doing <laughs> <laughs> with that slight cynicism there. And, 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 you know, I'm a big promoter in, in um, acknowledging even small steps, because when we acknowledge small steps, we, we create an energy that begets bigger steps over time. Sure. But even with that little cynicism in there, Just Capital recently produced a bunch of statistics on what's changed as a result of the business roundtable. Mm -hmm. And there was so much more there than I ever expected. I was heartened. If you actually go and look at it, you'll see and you'll start seeing a lot has changed. And while some of the things are fundamental, foundational, hygienic, whatever you'd like to call it, you need those things in place before you can move to the next steps. So I think we've made huge progress, much more than we actually see sometimes. And then the other thing, of course, is, as you mentioned, is the pandemic. The pandemic demonstrated how organizations that had a broader purpose, a broader stakeholder view, can use this as a means to drive trust from safety, from showing empathy, from responding from a more genuine place of caring and understanding 
than from a reactive business mode of, oh my goodness, we have to save our business. And we saw which companies responded from, from a, a bigger place versus a smaller place of, of a me focus and just mm-hmm. how do we keep our revenue going. And companies that prioritize the safety of their employees, the customers, and other stakeholders fared better in share price in 2020. And there's mm-hmm. been a lot of statistics that show that. And even in a one-month period, I think it was the beginning of the pandemic, it was something like over they had over a, um, a 2% increase and share price where others fell. And, and don't quote me on that number because I could be wrong, but it's something in that vein. George Seraphim from Harvard has done a lot of research on this, and you can look into some of his stats there. Um, we have especially younger millennials and Gen Z on the, the let's take a bigger stand businesses. You need to advocate for the things that we care about. Right. And we discovered that in 2011, people wanted business to advocate for the things that matter most to them. We're seeing the range of what they give business permission and what they demand, not only give them permission, what they demand business to respond to, continuing to widen. Mm -hmm. So these are all really positive things. Um, You know, we can remember the Disney CEO stepping up and saying, you know, I have to step up now and, and speak against this bill in Florida that that's anti-gay rights because my employees have demanded it. You had Delta and Coca-Cola doing similar things with voting rights where corporations felt comfortable staying silent. There's been a call to action to step up, but when they step up, they have to also make sure their values align. And that's one of the things that purpose helps guide if you see it as this operational thing. Right. In some ways, um, I would say we're entering a stage of purpose 2.0. And I hate doing that. Well, and I hate saying it (laughs) 2.0 just because it's it's such a trendy thing within the tech thing to add that in. But purpose 1.0 was very much, you know, following Simon Sinek in this why. And in many ways, it was a reframing of or or, um, a supplement to corporate identity from around the turn of the millennium before digital came in, when we, we had vision and mission in a much higher order way. And a lot of that got lost with, with digital over time. But Simon Sinek you know, promoted the why, and that was personal why and business why. Yeah. And so purpose became very much about the why. I would say purpose 2.0 is about the how. Hmm. And it's not just about coming up with your why. Because coming up with it is like, okay, that's great. That's nice. Now what? Yeah, how do you activate <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then now what is what corporations are being called to task on. They're being called to come up with realistic ambitions and take their employees and their other stakeholders on this purpose journey with them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see more and more of that. And I sort of see three or four stages mm-hmm. purpose. So the first stage is where a lot of companies are, and they're even they've moved into the second stage with the employee thing. So the first stage is very much about purpose as a communications than a campaigning tool. And, and it is the why piece and, and putting it out there and saying this is why we exist, putting a stake in the ground. Mm-hmm. Almost in the same way, uh, a true brand strategy, a brand identity, not the branding piece of it, mm-hmm. um, is doing. So that would be the first stage. Second which is where many people have gotten to this year with with all this phenomenon with employees, is is the notion of activating purpose as an engagement mechanism. 
as a way to engage employees and further out other stakeholders. And with that, you would say the third stage is about using purpose as a means for cultural transformation. Mm-hmm. For changing how people in the organization interact with each other and create relationships outside the organization. Right. Beyond that, then you have operationalization. How do you operationalize purpose into the organization? How do you tie it to a range of metrics, whether they're ESG metrics, sustainability metrics, or other things? Um, When I think about a, a brand that's kind of a really common brand that we don't think of as operationalizing purpose, Bumblebee comes to mind. Hmm. Um, it's a great way to see how a company has taken this notion of purpose and really started putting it into different facets. Bumblebee's purpose is to show the world there's a better way to eat seafood. And when you look at, at their website, Bumblebee states that they know they can't help feed the world without first protecting the ocean because of their Mm -hmm. love of seafood. So, you know, they've gone into circular packaging. They plant, quote unquote, sea trees to regenerate the oceans. They're cleaning out hazardous fish nets. Beyond circular packaging, they're doing, they've moved from plastic to cardboard wrappers. Mm -hmm. They start, the the fish they source in their supply chain now is from verifiable third party uh, sources. So they have, they're taking this notion of what they claim and actually putting it out there across all different aspects of their organization. And I think that's really great. Um, And then there's those who use purpose and and tie it to sustainability and see it as a means to grow, to unlock and create new value. So those are, those are some great examples of organizations that really get purpose. And thank you for sharing all the positives in the purpose movement, but there are some negatives and one of them being the rise of purpose washing, which I know is a concern of yours, you contend that some of it is simply happenstance. And I'm hoping that you can sort of elaborate on that. Sure. I'm not sure if I'd actually use the word happenstance per se, but the sentiment is correct. I think it's more about naivety and lack of understanding Mm -hmm. um, than necessarily happenstance, which is pure coincidence. Right. So let's, let's first distinguish purpose washing from greenwashing. Um, Each of these has been conflated and people often think of them as as the same thing, but they actually are somewhat different. And and I read actually some point this week that Merriam-Webster for the first time has actually put greenwashing in the dictionary. So it now has a technical dictionary definition. Um, my, My quick definition of greenwashing is the corporate practice of conveying false or misleading information about a company's environmental impact. Mm -hmm. You may know activist Jay Westerfeld actually created the term or coined the term in an essay examining sustainability in the hotel industry. And that was back in 1986. Mm -hmm. So that's where greenwashing comes from. And now it's an official term in the dictionary. Purpose washing is, is more about using purpose as a buzzword, as varnish for your corporate brand, an HR campaign, rather than having purpose as, as we were just discussing, as a strategic motivator, as a benchmark for the customer experience, your hiring process, your compensation structure, policies, procedures, et cetera, et cetera. So the the purpose purpose washing and greenwashing can actually very easily become the same thing when purpose is used as a social mission or Mm -hmm. a sustainability mission. And we see it often happening in the product arena more so than necessarily in in the corporate arena where purpose Mm -hmm. and greenwashing actually become uh, sort of a similar thing. 
if we go back to this notion of what you call happenstance, what I call call naivety or lack of, of training and understanding, marketing and communications people I speak to genuinely really want to do the right thing. CEOs I speak to genuinely really want to do the mm-hmm. right thing. I have met very few business people who I actually think are purposefully nefarious. Mm-hmm. People wake up saying, let me do my best today, not how can I harm the world. Right. And, and their best has a series of checks and balances and things that they need to, to, to have trade-offs. So often in these trade-offs, we end up getting a narrow perspective of what our job is. If you look at all the things that have been added on to a marketer's job, to, to human resource, um, which I like to think of as human relations professionals, to, to all the different facets of communications and PR professionals, purpose and the past two years have added on lists of things for what they have to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much to get off your checklist and you're sitting in isolation in your silo, not necessarily interacting with even an HR person or, or you know, marketing and brand people sometimes don't even interact because they have different jobs and different job functions. So they sit in their silo and they only see things from their perspective. And as we learn more and more about what really is sustainability, mm-hmm. of what really purpose is, how these things have tentacles that go so deep across an organization and into operations and into supply chains, we start seeing things that genuinely were meant to be good initiatives mm-hmm. be called out as, as purpose washing or greenwashing. H&M, which some could say is in and of itself a negative company because it's still about fast fashion, but we as consumers have to stop buying it as well. We can't just blame H&M. We have to look at ourselves, but H&M, had been using alongside with some other companies, something called the HIG index. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. So the HIG index was a way to to measure and rate environmental impact of garments. And I think they had over 800 garments on their website that that had a HIG index score on it. Mm -hmm. Norway's consumer watchdog came back in June and said that the HIG index was misleading. It didn't have verifiable numbers. So H&M was using something that they actually thought was verifiable and credible. But it was then seen because of additional information, because of more digging into the the deep recesses of of what's being measured and how they're measuring it, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't as viable as they thought. So they had to remove it from all their garments that that were labeled with it. So there's something that was based on our enhanced knowledge, not even their own naivety, but our enhanced and increased knowledge on what sustainability is, what greenwashing is, how far and how deep it goes. And and while there's a lot of backlash against things like ESG and the SDGs, all these things coming into our consciousness are helping us understand more deeply and more thoroughly what the implications of of how we produce things, of how we source things, et cetera, are. Mm -hmm. So we we have to actually honor, to your first point of what's changed, what's gotten better, we have more measurement systems out there. And as we have more, the metrics will continue to get better. We shouldn't just scrap everything. We need to continue to go down the, 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 the journey, the pathway of making each of these things better, which is what's happening. But that's what's sometimes making something that wasn't greenwashing become greenwashing. 
Hey there, Beyond Profit listener. The ANA CMO-endorsed industry growth agenda plays an important role in driving more purposeful and ethical marketing. In fact, it supports the key priorities of marketers throughout the world, including sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and brand safety. To learn more, please visit ana.net slash growth agenda. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and when you look back at the key lessons in your book, mm-hmm. and, and there are many. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, are, are there one or two that you feel are especially important today? It's interesting because when I, I, I personally need to go back and actually reread the whole book, but mm-hmm. I know what's in there is clearly in terms of principles. And the lessons that came out from our research into brand leadership, good corporate citizenship, and favorite brands beginning in 2011 are so much more relevant now and visible mm-hmm. where before they were relevant, but not as visible on the surface. Now they're on the surface in your face. Right. If we go back to the five steps, which were, or are trust, enrichment, responsibility, and community, they do frame a wider stakeholder approach for companies and, and act as a strategic framework to activate purpose from a wider systems perspective, not necessarily as deep into the supply chain as we're talking about, but it Mm -hmm. certainly sets you off on that pathway. If we think about the definition of brand citizenship, brand for me is the human face of a business with which we form a relationship. And citizenship is the active participation in society. And what were we just talking about with purpose? We were talking about connecting and forming a relationship with a business through purpose. And and businesses advocating and helping to fix problems of what people care about through active participation. So just the notion in and of itself is more relevant now uh, and more visibly relevant if I go back to that than it was then. What really was fascinating to me is I always used to say that a brand didn't need to end up being a brand of contribution you know, brand defined as people seeing as contributing. Mm -hmm. And I could never quite find the way to to express that other than a brand glides back and forth and has to have each of the elements of all five steps, even though it may strategically in people's mind be positioned at one singular step along that pathway. What emerged in COVID was the we side of the equation, which responsibility step three is the pivot point into the we side versus the me side, which is trust and enrichment. So responsibility, community, and contribution during COVID became essential elements to building trust and enriching lives. So it became Mm -hmm. a circle, which actually helped fix that thing that always bothered me about gliding back and forth Mm -hmm. because you're on a circle and it doesn't matter where you start in the circle. Because to be come back to where you start, you have to go around the whole circle. Right. And so this notion of helping we to better me really started highlighting and coming to the forefront. It was it was spotlighted with COVID. So to me, that's one of the biggest lessons is that we each as individuals, we each as companies, or each company, because it's not we each as companies, each company is integral to this whole system. And We can only build trust and enrich people's lives if we acknowledge that we're part of that bigger system and part of we. Mm -hmm. So we have to be responsible. We have to build community and we have to contribute. Why do you feel it's essential 
to cultivate a sustainability mindset in your organization, along with brand citizenship ethos? I think in many ways, I'll relate this to, I mean, you've probably heard me talk about Peter Drucker many times. For, for, for me, his philosophies have been a driving force that actually helped explain a lot of my learnings mm-hmm. when I did my research that led to brand citizenship. And I would say cultivating a sustainability mindset and an ethos of brand citizenship go back to something Peter Drucker said in his book, Management, Task Responsibilities and Practices. And, and if I quote Drucker, he said, To know what a business is, we have to start with its purpose. Its purpose must lie outside of the business itself. In fact, it must be in society, since business enterprise is an organ of society. Mm -hmm. There is only one valid definition of business purpose to create a customer. And then there's a little bit of dot, dot, dots, but he goes on to say, the customer is the foundation of a business and keeps it in existence. He alone gives employment. To supply the wants and needs of a consumer, society entrusts wealth-producing resources. Society entrusts wealth-producing resources to the business enterprise. So a sustainability mindset empowers employees to consider ethical growth and and this notion of being entrusted with wealth-producing resources to, to satisfy a consumer. And in doing that, you have to have ethical growth, which considers the impact of decisions on stakeholders, communities, society, and the environment. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is what a sustainability mindset is about. And when we think about sustainability as it was defined and envisioned by the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, this includes solving environmental, social, and economic issues. And we, we have to to think of resources in the sense, not only as environmental resources, but as human capital. And and as we said, brand citizenship is about helping your employees understand how business is an organ of society, which Rucker says in the beginning, and thereby must be an active participant Mm -hmm. in the society to, to try to separate economics from social things, which is what, you know, the technical theories do. It's a false construct. So building on that, um, you had mentioned the uh, the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Do you feel that organizations should align their purpose with one or more of those goals? I think they, they, they can or they don't have to. Okay. It depends on how they are. I think ultimately, if you align your purpose with doing good, you will be aligned with the Sustainable Development Goal. Mm-hmm. And it probably will benefit you to identify that. ESG can act as a framework to do that. You know, when we think of some of the organizations that we think of as doing this well, think of Salesforce. They very early on used the SDGs as a guiding tool and actively pursued goals that they can implement across their business and their philanthropic operations. If you read the 2022 Stakeholder Impact Report, it states which global goals they're they're focused on. And they Mm -hmm. talk about how they're focused on them because their business based on what their business is about. So their purpose in the true sense of what purpose is, is uniquely positioned to have the greatest impact on certain things. And they see that as eight of decent working and economic growth as goal 10 reduced inequality and goal 17, which is partnership for the goals, which is all about collaborations. Right, right. Lastly, Anne, you mentioned we're in Purpose 2.0 right now. So if you look out five years, um, will purpose simply become part of doing business 
and we are we are seeing that to, to some extent, you know, like like marketing and sales, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Or will it be bigger than that? Well, I think doing business is pretty big. Um, <laughs> sure. So, if purpose is about doing business with a, a greater social conscience, then I could say I guess it's bigger than that. But I think business will be about more and more about doing. Uh, not existing without a social conscience. And and the reality is five years from now, gosh, with the, the rate of change, who knows where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't predict a few things because that's always fun. The future of work is still being shaped. And of course, whether people work from home, have hybrid work, especially in, in the white collar sector, you know, this will have huge impacts on what purpose means. And purpose may be a way to, to start closing the gap between that white collar and that blue collar difference of working and, and being afforded the opportunity to work from home or not. Because there are a lot of jobs where you cannot choose to work from home. Yeah. <laughs> it, you have to be on site. You know, clearly, as I said, the 2.0 will focus on the how. And I think we're going to start seeing purpose as a guiding force for how corporations can become their best selves. Mm-hmm. How in every moment in every decision they can choose to use purpose as a guide to make an action that aligns with it. Clearly, this has to do with individuals and how how they approach their work because corporations are only made up of individuals. But every individual in an organization, if they become motivated by purpose, will have that in the back of their head. And each activity they do over time will start being tied to that. And they will choose to make a decision that aligns with it or not. It's going to it's going to require more intentionality and more courage. That has to root from the top, but it also has to be embedded in middle management because one of the things we see is leadership getting it, and then you go down to middle management, right. and their benchmarks and assessments all come from the same metrics they used to. So guess what? You know who cares about this purpose thing? I'm being graded on something else. Interesting. So yeah. I think I think we need to see more of that. Um, I think we're going to see more collaboration between HR, comms, marketing, and compliance and supply chain. I'd love to see purpose councils being built across. Um, and I've spoken with some organizations about this, creating purpose councils that are multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. There is a gentleman, John Katzenbach. Katzenbach, I think, is his surname. Um, who wrote a book called The Wisdom of Teams in the mid-90s, I read it. And that transformed how I personally work. And The Wisdom of Teams was all about how you unify people from their and, and pull them out of their functional grooves because we're in functional grooves when we're, we work. So you pull people out of their functional grooves and unify them as a team versus a working group because they have a new ambition and a goal that unites them. And purpose can be that new ambition and goal that unites people. And we can create purpose councils of people of multi-levels as well as multi-disciplines that start doing that. You know, that that 20% of the organization that's always gung-ho and believes in what they're doing more so Mm -hmm. than anybody, Mm -hmm. put those people together and start having them co-create and collaborate and and go out across to make purpose a bigger thing, to make it bigger than just doing business, as you say. Um, I think we're going to see more supply chain coalitions across organizations uh, within similar sectors or who supply from similar type uh, companies. 
and these will focus on solving environmental and deeply systemic uh, social issues. There's gonna need to be more transparency around political donations and lobbying. When business has always said it's apolitical, it has never been apolitical. Mm -hmm. Large corporations have always had some level of politics. It's just been hidden away. It's been opaque. The transparency around that's going to have to increase. And I think the issues that organ that people demand organizations take stands on will continue to expand. And what would be exciting is imagine if you're an organization and rather than the employee surveys, which tend to not really make people feel like anything's happening or no one's acting on it, start canvassing people on what our values stand for in terms of political issues. Mm -hmm. what, what do these values mean to you in the real world? Right. What do they translate into? What, what do our policies and procedures mean to you in translating to the real world and responding to real world issues? So there's ways for companies to get ahead of all this, but they haven't been changing how they operate and do this. They've been doing it in the traditional manner they do it. And so that's why so many companies, especially with taking a stand, are, are acting from behind rather than ahead. Mm -hmm. but, but if you get on top of your stakeholders and employees, if you think of ESG as material issues, the issues these people care about are material and they are risk. <laughs> They're risk and opportunity. Well, Ann, we'll have to work together on... Uh creating those purpose uh, councils, as you, as you mentioned. I'd love oh, to I'd those. love to do that. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny idea. because even back in at the turn of the millennium, when we were talking about brand alignment and brand councils, you could only get it to take so much. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the culture has shifted significantly and the temperature is there right now to start developing purpose councils. And they, right. they will be amazing. And imagine if you bring outside people in, Right. Too, to sit as advisors, you take youth advisors, you take NGOs. I mean, that, that collaboration, actually, I don't know if I mentioned that collaborations with nonprofits and, and NGOs yes. will yes. will be enhanced over the next five years without a doubt. So those coalitions are not just going to be amongst businesses, but actually bring in other people. Because the idea is how do we give everyone agency? And that's that's what employees are demanding. Right. And so when you you look at the employees within your supply chain, they too want agency. Mm -hmm. So you need to see it from that perspective. Well, and thank you so much for joining me once again on Beyond Profit. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I look forward to, to doing this again in, in another time. three or four years. <laughs> Absolutely. If you would like to learn more about Anne and her great work, please visit annbarthompson.com. That's annbarthompson.com. Com. And if you would like to recommend a speaker or a topic for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.